Welcome to the Coaching Matters Podcast brought to you by Fundraising University and Brian Kane Peak Performance. Coaching Matters is a nonprofit foundation whose primary purpose is to help coaches, athletes, and activities directors succeed in their programs, schools, and communities. Fundraising University works to help you raise the most amount of money in the least amount of time with the least amount of interference to support coaches and activities directors in enhancing the student experience and life skill development that is a critical component of our educational systems. Brian Kane, one of the world's leading mental performance coaches, works to educate, empower, and energize you to be your best through his 10 pillars of mental performance mastery systems. Together, each week, we bring you interviews, question and answer sessions, and group coaching around mastering mental performance, creating elite culture, and developing the leadership skills you need to succeed. And now, this week's Coaching Matters podcast. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, host of the Coaching Matters group coaching program sponsored by Fundraising University and super excited for tonight's episode. I'd first like to welcome everyone to the Coaching Matters group coaching podcast and would like to take the time to say thank you to any of our current Fundraising University coaches and administrators joining us on the call tonight. Fundraising University is the top high school fundraising company in the United States, helping to raise over $150 million for programs since its inception in 2009. And a special congratulations to Fundraising University for being nominated as one of the best of 2022 by Franchise Journal Magazine. Now, Tonight, we're super excited to welcome the 2019 NCAA National Coach of the Year in college baseball, none other than Eric Backett. He's the head baseball coach at the University of Michigan, and he played his college baseball for the Pirates at East Carolina University. And after a short stint in professional baseball, he went on to be an assistant coach at Clemson and then at Vanderbilt and was instrumental in helping Vandy go to become on one of the top programs in all of college baseball. He then got the job as the head coach at the University of Maryland and now at the University of Michigan, where again in 2019, he was NCAA National Coach of the Year and led the Wolverines to one win away from a national championship. Eric Backich is one of the top coaches in all of college athletics when it comes to building a championship culture, coaching the mental game, and training leadership. Super excited to welcome my friend EB to Coaching Matters. Eric, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thank you, Kaner. It's going to be a tough act to follow your energy all night long, but I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Well, excited for you to be here. And I know I want to kind of give you free liberty to kind of go in whatever direction you want to go here on tonight's call. We've got over 200 participants here. So for our guests, if you open up the chat, please feel free to ask any questions and then I'll kind of filter those questions and we'll attack those at the end. And, you know, Eric, before you get going, I do, I do want to ask you one question because I know, you know, you played at East Carolina, you played for a legend in Keith LeClaire. And a coach, I believe, for the coaches on this call, you touch more lives in one year than most people do in their entire life. Would you just kind of unpack, you know, why you wear number 23 and the greatness of Coach Keith LeClaire as we get started here? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Kane. Yeah, I, I played for Coach LeClaire at East Carolina in 1999 and 2000. Our teams had tremendous success. I don't remember any one specific X or O mechanic or technique that coach LeClaire taught about hitting or fielding or anything. But I remember how he was able to get a group of guys to believe that they were 10 feet tall and bulletproof. He would give those speeches that, 
you know, made us think, even though we might not have matched up on paper with another team, but we just felt like we were invincible. And it's that true power of just unlocking the confidence in a player and in a team. And as you guys all know, when a team or a player is confident, anything is possible. And so that's what I remember the most about him. He uh, had unbelievable success, fastest coach to reach 350 wins under the age of 35 in the history of college baseball. So he was a guy that uh, was on a trajectory that was just straight up taken off. And in 2001, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, fought a five-year battle uh, with ALS and passed away in July of 06. And uh, there was uh, six of us on that those teams in 99 and 2000 that all got into coaching. Um, and we all wear number 23 to continue his inspiration, continue his legacy. We made a promise to get to Omaha for him. He never got to go. Uh, but that's why we all do it, to, to continue that inspiration. And it's a, it's a huge part of the why of what, what drives me every day is to make sure that all of our players have the same experience that our teammates had when we played because we wouldn't trade it for all the money in the world. You know, and, and you know, yeah, and you know, I know you wear number 23 and Cliff Godwin, you know, wears number 23, head coach East Carolina, and you guys were teammates together. And, and you know, there's a book I want to recommend uh, to every coach who's on this call, whether you're a baseball coach or, or, or an athletic director, whether you're a parent, that book is called Coaching Third, and it's a story about Coach Keith LeClaire. And I've posted a link to that in the chat. Um, I remember reading it on the flight home from Greenville and there, I couldn't stop crying because it was so damn good. So Eric, thanks for being here, man. I'll turn them over to you, bro. I'm excited to sit and learn and hear you talk about kind of what you're doing and how you kind of have built, you know, a juggernaut of a culture and a leadership program. You know, you're building a leadership program that plays baseball. I've heard you say that before at the university of Michigan, you know, and I uh, really just want to kind of turn it over to you and um, talk about some of the strategies and things that you do to build culture, to build leadership and, and really coach the mental game. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about integrating uh, individual player development into team culture. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of familiar concepts because uh, Brian and I have been friends since, what is it, Kaner, 2006? Yeah. Fall of 06. Uh, have worked together uh, for ever since then, really. I mean, it's it's uh, so a lot of what you're going to hear, a lot of what you're going to see is is not going to be anything new. Maybe it'll be a new way of saying it. Um but uh, a lot of our culture is is built on on developing the strongest muscle in the body, and that's the the one that occupies those six inches between the ears. So, uh, Kaner, can I share my screen? You sure can. Yeah, I'm going to make you a co-host here, Eric, so you'll have ability to share screen all you want. So you okay. should be able to go ahead and do that. All right, I got to get my glasses on here. I was pitching my son a couple of. A couple of years ago, and he had a little plastic ball, like golf ball size, and I threw it, and he drilled it, and I didn't, you know, I didn't even see it until it got like right here, smoked me right in the right eye, and it was like I barely got my eyelid shut, and I was like, oh my god, I did like thought my eye was gonna fall out when I opened up, and it was like triple vision right away, and that was two years ago, and it's still like double vision, you know, and I went to the optometrist, he's like, yeah, no, no bruise retina, no stretch, stretch cornea, nothing, you just may have a like a degenerate you know, right eye. So I, I'm, I'm dealing with my, my double vision all the time, but uh, yes, yeah, kind of sad to report if my vision keeps deteriorating, I, I actually will have to stop coaching um, and start umpiring. So uh, let's keep going here. <laughs> That's from outstanding. I was going to ask you, how proud are you that he can hit a ball so hard back at you that you couldn't stop it? 
<laughs> yeah, harder, harder than his old man. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. should have complete access. Here we go. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So uh, perfect. Well, there's a slide, you know, real well. Let me get up to the top here and get going. All right. So. Um, all right. Is that good? Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Brilliant. Awesome. All right. So uh, <clears throat> this is a logo we use inside of our program. Johnny Delores on the call from TCU. He knows he knows about this. Well, you know, I'm going to just talk real quick about this. Um, simply because we're, we are not one of those programs that when the players get to school, they have their lockers completely lined with, with shirts and sweatshirts and gear and shoe boxes stacked up. They actually don't get anything. Uh, they get a, what we call program gear. They get a, a t-shirt, usually blank Navy t-shirt and a, and a unpocketed pair of mesh shorts. We call it program gear. I guess it's kind of like basic training, but you know, we, we believe you get what you earn and just because, you you know, you start school doesn't mean that you just it's a bunch of handouts. Uh, I remember when I first got hired, they, they talked a lot about uh, the biggest obstacle would be this this sense of entitlement. And so uh, we wanted our guys to earn what they get. So we actually don't give access to the locker room right away. They don't get gear right away. They end up getting plenty of stuff. Obviously, we're very fortunate here, but they, we want them to appreciate it. Um, and it's just, uh, it, it, it's a, so when they, the reason I bring this, sorry, the reason I bring, uh, I was trying to admit someone in the room. The reason I bring this logo up is because, uh, you know, we put this logo on a lot of our stuff and it, it's, it's different. You don't see this at the bookstore. You don't see this around town. It's not, it's not that the Great Lakes are some proprietary thing we created in the block M certainly isn't. Uh, but it putting these two together and putting this on some stuff that we wear just signifies that, you know, maybe they had to they had to do a few things differently than what the rest of the, the student athletes did. And so we'll, we'll do a big community service event. Then they'll get more gear and then they'll move into the locker room. And uh, my point in telling you all that is just getting your athletes to constantly have that sense of appreciation and how and the, how lucky they are to be where they are. I'm going to show you a highlight video, if that's OK, Kaner. I'm going to oh, yeah. show you guys a highlight video real quick. Uh, that our, our culture and the individual player development with inside of our program was on full display in that that 2019 run. And you can see kind of the energy and the enthusiasm these guys are playing with, the, the positive touches, the connectivity with each other. Uh, and it's a cool video. So here we go. Good. Yeah, good. <laughs> Trying to let people in the room. and, and I'll, I'll let them in the room, man. Well, hang on. Let me see what's going on here. Take all game three. Yeah. Swing and a miss. 
Kerr, the first baseman, throws a rocket to Donovan. And Thomas, the ground ball into center. And Michigan will take the lead on a two-run single. Ground ball to short. Doubles it up. The Michigan Wolverines are on the hotbound. Soft line is by Thomas. I'm going to go back to that team 153 here in a minute, but uh, you know, this slide right here, kind of that John Wooden definition of success is, is did you reach your maximum potential? And so, you know, incorporating uh, individual player development into a, into a team culture uh, really, if, if you can maximize the team and maximize each, each individual player, then, then that's the definition of success. Uh, and the one thing that we figured out, you know, you never really have anything figured out, but the one thing that is figured out, if you want to have a really good team, you got to have a bunch of really good teammates. So how do you build that? How do you build this, this model of where everyone's trying to improve? So there has to be this target on themselves, but also you're trying to do it within the framework of the team. And so I want you guys to think of this talk. This talk could be named Brain Body Ball as the same time as well, because this is where this development, the culture development and the individual development are taking place. Most people, they just want to talk about the ball and the ball is important because that's, you know, players are getting opportunities based on what that ball can do. Uh, people are getting trophies and rings and hardware and, and, and better jobs and promotions and everything can seem results-based, but focusing on the results, if you paid attention to what Kane has taught and what all of you know, it's not the route. You got to, if you want to make, make the ball do better things, you got to improve the body. But if you want to improve the body, you got to improve the brain. And so, especially when it comes to building team culture, it all happens between the years. And that is where for brain, body, ball, we can't start with the ball. The ball is last. It's got to start in the brain. And this is where we're fortunate to have a classroom. And one of the first lessons that they learn inside that classroom is that they are just part of something much bigger than themselves. So we, we actually number our teams. So we've been playing baseball at Michigan since 1866. So this year we'll be team 156. Uh, and so the first, one of the first things I tell the, tell the guys is that they are just simply standing on the shoulders of so many great men and so many great teams. And if they want to have a program goal, that's add as much value as you possibly can make, make this particular page of the history book one that will be bookmarked for all of time. But instantly it's kind of getting this understanding that it's, it's not about you. You're not the puzzle. You're just a piece of the puzzle. And you, it's, this is about something much bigger. Uh, it's a program that's been around a long time, going to be around a lot longer when we're all dead and gone. And so, uh, 
get grasping that concept can really take the uh, the individualism out of it, even though we want individual player development. It's, it's within the framework of something bigger. This is the most important facility. This is the most important part of all of our facilities. That's cer certainly the one that's the most valuable. This is the classroom and a classroom doesn't have to necessarily be a classroom. Your classroom can be anywhere. It can be the left field corner or dugout or whatever, but just having a place that you meet uh, where you can teach things other than baseball. And so for us, this is called the Branch Ricky classroom. It's right, it's right underneath the, the third base bleachers. Uh, but we start every day inside this classroom. We have never started since we've had this classroom for five years now, we've never started a day of training out on the baseball field. We, it's a hard room to get into, but it's a clearly defined space. This is a space for learning. The field is where you play. This is where you learn. Uh, I think of myself more as a teacher as, or a teacher as much as a, as a coach. Uh, and like Brian said at the beginning, you know, we're teaching leadership and, and culture and life skills just through the game of baseball. So this room is where we want to build the sense of teammate, where we're teaching things like character traits and leadership and uh, working on building them as people. Uh, and then that trickle effect is they'll end up being better ball players because of it. Um, but this, this room is, is critically important. One of the things that we do is try to connect with our ancestors in this room and celebrate the people that have come before us. So the two guys above are, are pretty prominent, uh, especially when, when you talk about leaving a legacy and leaving something behind. The, the guy holding the trophy there is Fred Wilpon. He's the former owner of the Mets. He played at Michigan in the 50s, played for Ray Fisher, who the stadium is named after. Uh, but he got his first job in professional baseball from the guy next to him there, which is who's Branch Rickey. And you guys all know Branch Rickey. You know him for uh, signing Jackie Robinson. Uh, but what you may not know is Branch Rickey was the coach at Michigan 1910 to 1913 while he was in law school at Michigan. And he basically was like a war of attrition. He went to the uh, athletic director every day, said, telling him to give him the, give him the baseball head coaching job. And had people write letters until finally the AD said, fine, coach the baseball team. So he coached for, this is a total Brian Kane move. So he coached from 1910 to 1913 uh, and went on to have an incredible uh, career as a GM. And, uh, you know, obviously breaking the color barrier, signing Jackie Robinson is something that there's not anything that's had more of a bigger impact on our sport. But he also invented the farm system, the batting helmet, like his, his impact, his uh, had been felt for generations and generations. And on our wall in that classroom is a quote that he had about, uh, it's not the, it's basically not, not the awards and the accolades, but the legacy you leave, that heritage that you leave behind. So we talk a lot about legacy in our program, talk a lot about, we st uh, stole something from the New Zealand All Blacks, which was leave the jersey in a better place. And so when we talk about each team, the legacies of each team, you know, the legacy of Team 153, who you saw the highlight video of, it wasn't just about the millions of dollars of signing bonuses and the awards and the accolades and all the superlatives. Uh, we talk about the legacy of that team being a little bit bigger than that, uh, how it was inspirational for a cold weather team. We've heard from a lot of teams in the Midwest and in the Northeast and in just cold regions that said, you know, we, we watched you guys and, you know, we think we can do that too. And uh, there was a true belief in, uh, in the ability that just because you may have a weather disadvantage doesn't mean it has to stop you. Uh, and so it was very inspirational for other teams to think they can do it too. The, 
the kid in the bottom corner there, that's the, that's my kid. That's the one that drilled me with the ball. Um, but that's the symbolic of, you know, there's comes a time in youth baseball where maybe it doesn't become as fun as it used to be. And you got to make a decision. Are you going to continue on playing baseball or you're at that grassroots level where, you know, you're not sure if you're going to pick baseball or pick another sport. It, one of the biggest problems of our sport is early sports specialization and, uh, and, you know, teams that require kids to play, you know, nine, 10, 11 months out of the year. And what they should be doing is sampling a lot of sports. We're not going to get into that right now, but, you know, you got a lot of kids that are deciding, are they even going to play baseball or continue to play baseball? And what we heard from a lot of the youth, youth kids, just seeing how much fun our guys were having on a baseball field that it looked like a little league type of environment where there's a lot of smiles, there's a lot of high fives, a lot of fist bumps. And uh, so if that can create some, uh, some traction where getting kids to want to stick with the sport or start the sport, that's huge. The, the picture of the, uh, the country with the flag, we had a lot of notoriety during that world series about having a, a diverse roster and kids from, all different backgrounds. And, and we do that on purpose. And we, we recruit from all corners of the country, all different races, all different socioeconomic statuses. And it was just that kind of that going back to Coach LeClaire of getting guys from everywhere. Cause I'm a California guy uh, and I went and played in, in small town, North Carolina, but getting guys from all over the place to come together and develop a really, really tight circle from different backgrounds and upbringings was uh, so rewarding to see uh, connecting seven, seven decades of alumni and three generations. And then we're doing, we're in the middle of a nice facility upgrade right now. And that was because of team 153 team 156 is getting facility upgrades because of what team 153 did. So it's leaving the Jersey in a better place is, is truly something that uh, every kid at, at any level can understand. Um, but the thing about Team 153 is there's also second place. And, and this is something that, you know, only one team's happy at the end of the year. You, you, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a system that really only rewards, you know, one team. I guess that's sports in general. But nobody knows who this guy is. You know, this is Matthew Mack Robinson. He was an Olympic 200-meter runner in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And Matthew Mack Robinson ran the 200 meter dash, set the world record and got a silver medal. And you're saying, well, how is that possible? How can a guy who set the world record and get a silver medal? Well, the reason that happened is because Jesse Owens was also running that same race. And Jesse Owens beat Matthew Mack Robinson by 0.02 hundredths of a second. Hmm. And so even though we don't maybe remember Matthew Mack Robinson's Olympic run, uh, it still was inspirational and it was inspirational to his kid brother, Jackie, who 11 years later breaks the color barrier. So finding inspiration out of second place, it's don't have to be the, the champions. Uh, there is some, some inspiration and in, in some adversity, like it is to not finish first. Uh, but all of this building a culture, I think one of the uh, overarching themes of this is just, how we do it, but we do it in a family type of environment. We have, uh, we have, we name our players, older brothers, younger brothers, the older brothers are obviously the upperclassmen, the younger, younger brothers are the underclassmen. Uh, there's a seating arrangement based on the, your age so that the young guys are surrounded by returning players. 
uh, but we want them to feel like they're not initiated into something. You, you, when you have, you know, a lot of them have siblings and when you have a, uh, someone new to the family, they don't have to get hazed. They don't have to be initiated. They're just part of the family. Uh, so there is no, there is none of that in terms of, we, we want them to truly feel like their parents are high-fiving our coaching staff and we're continuing their development as men, as future husbands, as future leaders. Our coaches, wives, and kids are fully integrated into the team and the team fully integrated into uh, our families. And culture, I think, just because so many people say it, it, I would tell you, it takes a long time to build. And I think you guys all know this anyways, but there's a difference between environment and culture. Environment is the day-to-day. -day. It's what you have right now. It's the it's the, uh, it's the everyday kind of stuff and the standards and behaviors that go into that environment. Culture is what happens over time. And, you know, the, the culture is, uh, is something I would tell you has taken every single minute of 10 years for us to build here. Um, and in order to get that culture, we had to have the right type of environment throughout uh, our process on a daily basis. Our, our program just very simply on two pillars, st standing up on two pillars, recruiting and player development. So obviously we want all your best players, please so feel free to send them over. Uh, but once they get here, uh, our sole focus becomes on, on developing them, not just as baseball players, but like I mentioned, this is where the, the role of the teacher and, and developing the total person and developing the, the teammate is so critical. We want them to, obviously we all, all of not saying anything new, but if you can try to put the target on making them better future husbands, better future fathers, better teammates, there's a trickle-down effect where their, their actions in the classroom and on the field just seem to continue to grow. So the, the target doesn't have to be on the scoreboard and what the ball is doing, but more on developing the brain and what, how they are as people. It's amazing that type of effect when it does that. Ultimately, it's just a high standard of performance in every single thing we do. That's part of our university mission. And we just call these behavior standards. And then we just label them. We define them. We, uh, I don't know if you can see that, but we try to make the, instead of meaningless platitudes, we try to have uh, basically behaviors of all the areas. And this is something Kane helped me build years ago of where they are student athletes in the classroom, in the community, in training and in games where we've taken this to another level is, is a shared mentality and a shared language. I got some bad words on there. So I had to change that slide fast, sorry. Um, but that shared language and shared mentality, especially the shared language, you'll, you'll hear me say in, in our daily classroom sessions or into the media, a lot of the things that are, that are on the, those, that shared language sheet. Uh, basically, we want them thinking a certain way and then talking a certain way and that'll help form their habits. But ultimately, we want these guys to love the team more than they love their individual role, uh, regardless of what team you're on, what business you're in, no matter what, the number one team killer is always going to be selfish behaviors. Uh, and so we just want to create the positive behaviors that are going to uh, lead us to our goal and, and uh, lead them to helping them uh, develop to their maximum potential and, and as individuals and help us develop to our maximum potential as a team. And uh, that's something that Kane, this is from Optimize. And I know Kane pushes Optimize a lot, but this was one of the coolest things I saw uh, where he taught with Brian Johnson on Optimize talked about traction is we, we it fits with our culture because we have a part of our shared language is pull the rope. 
you saw in the highlight video, when guys get an extra base hit, they pull the rope. And uh, we actually got that from Coach Altabelli at, at Orange Coast College. Uh, we had a, one of his players came and played for us uh, back in 2015 20, uh, and 2016. So he brought the pull the rope mindset. So everyone, pull, pull, you know, when a guy hits an extra base hit, he pulls the rope. Everyone in the dugout lunges forward towards that guy. Uh, but it's, it's, it speaks to something bigger of, you know, it, it's drawing towards, it's getting everyone united, but your behaviors getting back to this to draw or pull you towards that common goal. And obviously the opposite of traction is distraction. And this would be the actions or the behaviors that lead you away from your individual or team goals, uh, which is not pulling the rope for us. And uh, I heard this, uh, I heard this the other day and I, not that there's any truth to it, but I, I really liked the way it was framed. And they were talking about addiction and about how in the United States, the number one addiction wasn't drugs or alcohol, but it was distraction. And you have, you have people in general are distracted. They've got notifications on their phone, constantly alerting them, constantly buzzing them, constantly, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, like the slot machine, what I get, what I win and checking the phone, check the phone, check the phone. And for, uh, for our players, you know, they're, they're living at a time, your players too, all of our, this, this generation of, of kid is, uh, the most photographed uh, generation that, that we've ever had. And the unintended consequence of that is that target being directly on their chest and, you know, look at me, look what I'm doing. They're posting on, you know, constantly their personal highlight reels, whether they're having the best time ever, it sure looks like they're having the best time ever. And everyone else is seeing that. And then they think they're missing out on something. And it's just this cycle. And we've all seen it. You guys have seen it. We've seen it. Uh, and so we, we really just try to got to shift that target off of off of that idea of of uh, instead of uh, that self-centered, but just put it on put it on the, the guy to their left, the guy to their right. And, uh, you know, the phone or just this this type of thinking, it's it's just creates a lot of stress. Uh, I, I've, part of developing the brain is learning some of the chemicals in the brain. And this one here is a, it has a, a lot of negative impact on everyone really but this is uh this is the stress hormone uh and i would tell you that a lot of our classroom sessions everything that we're working on is to try to decrease their levels of cortisol take that stress down uh, get the good chemicals going uh the endorphins dopamine oxytocin serotonin the, the things that you know just you can just get an improvement on just by shifting your posture changing your body language uh, and so the biggest way to get to get out of this, is, and Kane talks about this all the time, is just controlling the controllables. And this is where mental game comes in. I'm, I'm not going to do a deep dive into mental game because Kane is, is so good at it. And what he learned from Ken Revisa, you know, being a California guy uh, personally, that was huge in that state, even growing up 20, 20 to 30 years ago. But think, uh, you know, what what. Ken Revisa and Brian Kane have done to bring the mental game to uh, the college and high school levels. It's just been incredible. And seeing what these guys, you know, you, you this was a, a, an illustration from Heads Up Baseball. And now you can think about all the things you need to add in here now for the uncontrollables uh, regarding that phone and social media and the things. I mean, guys now play and 
they're worried they're going to end up on barstool sports or foul pole sports or whatever it's called. Just they look stupid doing something. So uh, a lot of the PowerPoint slides that we create on a daily basis uh, have to do with these things they can control, which is, you know, hearing from Kane, attitude, perspective, effort. Uh, but but we we very much use a lot of that teaching into our mental game training. We've uh, simplified it into these seven steps. You know, we still use signal lights a lot. If you uh, just a awareness of whether you're in green, yellow, or red. And then if you are in yellow or red, trying to release it with something, doing a physical action to release that negativity, uh, finding that focal point to signify being in the present moment and this pitch being all that matters. And then breath visualization and self and self-talk. We do a real deep dive into those because those right there uh, are incredible life skills as well as you guys know, incredible, you know, correlators to success, all successful people. When you hear about some of the, some of the most successful people, they've got ways to, to downregulate, to slow themselves down and, you know, learning more about the breath. Uh, there's a great book called Breath by James Nestor on nasal breathing. And we, we, we try to exclusively do nasal breathing now and, uh, you know, spend a, couple of days educating our guys on breathing, breathing techniques, different types of breathing. They know who Wim Hof is. They, you know, that we'll, we'll really work on it because it's such a great way to slow the body down and get the body under control. Um, visualization is something we, we, we use, I would say maybe not daily, but close to it. Um, and really go get and doing a deep dive into mental proximity and understanding how the brain works when it comes to visualization, especially when you can activate all your senses and make it as real as possible. Uh, and then self-talk, you know, I, we used to always have them start with, I can, I am, I will, and I shared a study with them on uh, self-distancing, where if, if Brian Kane was one of our players, instead of helping him build his self-talk is, you know, I'm a, I'm a freaking stud. Uh, he might self distance where he speaks to himself in the third person, you know, and Brian, you're, you're Brian, you're a freaking stud or Brian, you can do this. And the is really cool to see. And it's just a show of hands after doing this for a week, about half the team. Now their self-talk is in the third person and reading that study. And it was a study actually done here at Michigan, uh, but pretty darn cool uh, of how that works. And, the more you do it, especially if you do it in a positive, confident way of, of the effect. And then all of this, all the mental game uh, is, let's not forget, we're, we can't be a slave to our routine. The routine is helping us compete to be the best that we can be and compete pitch to pitch. Uh, and so, uh, you know, never, 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 uh, <clears throat> never minimizing or diminishing that you know, we're, we're trying to get these guys to be, to be competitors and it's okay to compete. And somewhere in this participation trophy generation, it's like the, the target is off of competing and we, we want to train competing as much as we can. So we want to make sure the goal of the mental game, besides making them as confident as they possibly can be, is get them to compete. Um, this, the picture on the, this next to that, that funnel, that's, that's target behavior we use. I think I got this from you as well, Kane. Uh, of whatever that target is, where the bullseye is, you want to have steps leading up to that. Whether that's a pitch-to-pitch -pitch routine or that's your bullpen schedule for the week or that's a test you're preparing for, but the steps leading up 
to whatever that action is. You want them to be the same and be as consistent as possible. And when, uh, when you can do that, you have the best chance for success there. So, you know, that's a lot of uh, what we do for training the brain. Um, I want to give you a quick, a quick uh, glimpse into what we do for training the body, because this is different. This is something that uh, we've shifted from a program philosophy standpoint four years ago. Um, I was a coach that, you know, I knew that, you know, the, the importance of the, of the brain and mental game. And of course we always did it, but the, what we needed to do in terms of training their bodies, I was probably one of those coaches that, you know, subscribed to that philosophy of, well, we'll have a good strength and conditioning program and they'll have another birthday and that'll help them perform better. And, uh, and boy, was I wrong about that, or maybe not completely wrong, but we found a much better way to do it. So uh, we, we, we use a, a phrase called biometric driven, biometrics, just meaning body data. Uh, but, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what people do is they, they wait for the studies to come out. And when they read the studies, this is the evidence-based studies. And there's a lot of value in the evidence-based studies because they've, you know, they've been proven, proven by people who have, who have done the, you know, done done that collected all the data and maybe it's maybe it's a couple years old maybe it's five years old maybe it's 10 years old maybe there's value in there but there's also value in experimenting and figuring things out on your own and you know not having to wait for the the control group and the double blind and whatever and we talk to our team about kind of living in the intersection of both of those circles of uh, we want to do things that are that are meaningful and valid and based on science but we also want to you know, we want to experiment. We want to figure some things out. We want to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. And the only way to do that is to, is to experiment with some things that you need to figure out if they work. Uh, I spoke at the national convention uh, four years ago, January of, of 2018. And I, this is one of the slides. And it's a good slide about hitting. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's some good information here, but I, I don't think I've, I've mentioned uh, any of this type of talk uh, to our hitters since the fall of 2018. Because I realized after that season that this was a lot of the same stuff I was teaching at Vanderbilt 10 years before. And there just seemed to be something that, that didn't quite click about comparing our players to major league players using still action photos. And, and this is something that, you know, I was one of those coaches that when I was working with a player, you know, I would give them external cueing, meaning I would tell them, I would give them drills and I would say, Hey, John Delora, who's on the call here. Hey, you know, you're struggling to, to pull the ball uh, with authority with backspins. So we're going to do the off center flips and the high T and the velo drill. Uh, and I'm going to show Johnny the contact point of, you know, one of these big leaguers. Uh, and it just, not that, not that the information is bad again, but, we kind of completely have shifted away from that over the last few years. And again, getting back to body or brain body ball, you know, the brain moves the body, the, the body swings the bat and the ball flight is last. And so one of the biggest, most impactful things that we did as a staff is we started exploring the golf world because the golf world is light years. I can just tell you and, and feel confident in saying this, the golf world is light years ahead of baseball. Uh, that's where TrackMan started. They've been using launch monitors to measure what the ball is doing for, for decades. Uh, and they, they have this great philosophy of, 
you know, taking the medical professional, the strength coach and the golf professional and, and all of them having this great triangle of communication around the player. And maybe the biggest thing, the biggest light bulb in going out to the Titleist Performance Institute is just hearing their philosophy. And their philosophy on golf is, you know, there's not one way to swing a golf club, rather an infinite way of swing, ways of swinging a golf club, but there is one most efficient way and it's based on what you can physically do. So when we translate that to, to baseball, there's not one way to hit or pitch, but there is one most efficient way based on what you can physically do. And, and that's where I learned from this guy right here, Greg Rose, who I think is a, and maybe one of the smartest people that I've, I've heard in sports period. Uh, and if you have the chance, I know a lot of you know who he is already. And if you don't go check out the, my TPI website, uh, but it is something that we have fully subscribed to, um, instead of, instead of just giving a guy external drills to do, yeah, we need to check out their swing and see if they have a technique problem. But now what we're doing is going into a deep dive of evaluating their bodies to see if they physically can do it. Uh, because telling players to get into positions they physically can't get into, that's just, that's just bad coaching, right? So, you know, what one of their big mantras is assess, don't guess. And the human body is this alternating pattern of stable and mobile joints, right? So if you're, if the joint just mostly likes to flex and extend like knees and elbows and low backs, that would we, we would call that a stable joint. If it's a, a, like an ankle, a hip, a, sh a shoulder and a wrist, or a T-spine, those are mobile joints. And so the body should be this alternating pattern. What happens is, is a lot of those, what should be mobile joints, those ones in the blue circles, they're not mobile. They, they actually have you know, some stiffness in those joints and your body's really smart. It's really good. And it's gonna, if you need to do a baseball swing or a pitching delivery, it's gonna still do the delivery, but what it's gonna do, it's gonna take one of those stable joints and make it mobile. And that's where a lot of these injuries happen. So when people say they've got, you know, a low back, low back pain, that doesn't mean they have a low back injury. They just, that's where their pain is, but it may be stemming from something like ankle immobility or hip immobility. So we do these series of tests with our players that uh, is from the golf world. And then we relate everything to, uh, to baseball and what their limitations may be. But these 16 tests are a staple of our program. We test them every single month. We come up with these report cards of where their target areas are that they need to improve in their body, come up with corrective exercises like these. And this is from, this is from TPI and then invent these, uh, but got a lot of these from, from TPI and TPI is now created on base. U. Uh, on base. U is, is great. Um, we just went the golf route because we wanted to figure we wanted to make our own baseball correlations. We didn't want to be told what the baseball correlations were. And that's been a huge a light bulb moment for us is we've had the opportunity to, to get in that experiment circle and, and figure out what actually is correlated to baseball. Uh, but you see some of our players here, uh, these numbers uh, in green that are highlighted in green, the scoring of the TPI testing is zero to 40. Zero is a perfect score. 40 is the worst score. So you want a low score as possible. But you can see a guy like Jimmy Kerr uh, and he was a 23 when we first started in 2018. And then by the end of 2019, he was, he was a zero. He's the only guy we've ever had to be uh, score perfectly, but look at his production between the two years. 
Uh, and then Jordan Brewer was a, a guy that everyone would just classify as raw. He was a junior college player, you know, incredible athlete, could really run, could really jump, had a cannon for an arm. Uh, but, you know, his technique, you know, had some issues with it. And uh, a guy that had some, some physical limitations as well, even though he was explosive, uh, that, that really needed to be refined. And he improved 18 points, ended up being the Big Ten Player of the Year. And then the next two guys were our, our Friday and Saturday starters. And their first couple years in our program, they had fizzled out at the end of the year. And in 2019 as juniors, and they, they did have another birthday and they were stronger, no question. But they have significantly improved the way their body moved. They became much more efficient and they became much more durable. And they got stronger as the season went on. And they ended up both pitching over 120 innings where they, were, they weren't even near 100 the year before. So ultimately with this, we just got, as we're making these connections between the body and the swing or the body and the delivery, the question we got to ask ourselves is, is this a technique problem? Like does the guy swing suck? Or is this a physical limitation? Is this something that we got to take a look at and help the guy be a better mover? Ultimately, you know, we want to be snipers with these diagnoses in, in, our, in our training. We don't want to just chuck grenades and, hey, try this. No, hey, try this. No, hey, try this. So a couple of examples of these kids, that Jordan Brewer guy I was just telling you about, you know, he, he's the guy, number 22, there jumping up in the air. He was an incredible, he had an incredible vertical jump. This was a football player that was a receiver, had a 40.1-inch vertical jump. I mean, just the ground force he created was incredible. But he was a guy that had a super steep swing. He could hit the ball 105 miles an hour, but he would stand straight up like you see in the, the beginning of that video and hit the ball straight into the ground. And we're like, Brew, you know, you hit the ball 105 miles an hour. You need to elevate the ball. You need to hit it in the air. And he's like, well, I've, I've always been told to just stand up and chop down. And I really can't, like, I've tried to uppercut a little bit. I just can't. And we realized the 90-90 test, which is an external, rota external shoulder rotation test, he couldn't externally rotate his shoulder. So how could he match swing plane to pitch plane if he had, was immobile in his shoulder? And that was a football injury that he had, and we didn't know that. And so we had to, there, he, there was no way he was going to have the shoulder mobility in order to have a slight uppercut in his swing. He was always going to have a steep swing. His attack angle was always going to be uh, very negative. And so we had to find a cheat code for him. So we, we, we spread his base out. We lowered him to the, closer to the ground. We lowered his hands so that just his hands and his bat could be closer to pitch plane. And uh, the results were awesome of how he was able to unlock his potential there. This guy here was our shortstop. And this is a guy that another great jumper, he jumped 39 inches. These are like the two best jumpers we've ever had. Um, and he, so he was another guy that, again, put a lot, of, a lot of energy into the ground. He was one of those guys that had tremendous core strength, like just jacked his abs. He was shredded. He had a cannon for an arm, like so he, he had a lot of arm strength and a lot of, lot of arm speed. Uh, but when we would watch him hit, he was one of those guys that as he would swing, he wouldn't roll over. He wouldn't finish his swing. His bat speed, you, would, you wouldn't hear the whoosh until the finish, till the follow through. And when we did the mobility test for his wrist for, for forearm pronation and supernation, 
for wrist hinge up and down and for wrist flexion extension. He was immobile in all of them. And so we realized he physically couldn't, uh, wasn't able to unlock that bat speed. And it wasn't until his body turned his swing over. And so we gave him a bunch of mobility drills for his wrists and then gave him a badminton racket where he could hear the whoosh at contact. Cause he's just use your ears. You want to hear the whoosh where you're making contact. And uh, his, his exit below went from 89 to 98 from freshman year to sophomore year, just by, or in two weeks, just by unlocking the wrist. And then the next year, uh, his exit below was up to 105. He ended up being a fifth round pick, but in two weeks, he went up nine miles an hour in exit below just by unlocking the wrist. It was awesome. Uh, this is a guy that you, we, we all see in our programs. Uh, he, he was a guy that, not Trout, but the guy beneath him, uh, he was a guy that kind of like that guy I mentioned that you know couldn't really pull the ball with, with authority. It was always a hook barrel. It was always out and around. And I'm always giving him these external drills when he was a freshman of like, let's do more off center stuff. Like let's, let's do where I'm standing like more towards the first baseline and chucking it right at his hip and he's trying to pull it. And it's like, he's hook barreling it even more. And it had nothing to do with his swing. He was, he had immobility in his T-spine. His T-spine was totally locked up. And so when he went to go to swing, he couldn't make that smooth turn with his torso. He would get, he would climb that left shoulder out of there, which was cast his hands out and around. And that was just something that we had to work on his T-spine mobility, which then made him a better hitter and able to handle that inside pitch. So all of this stuff, whether you're talking about culture or whether you're talking about individual player development, I always talk to our guys about, or try to talk to our guys in what we call bilingual. And Bilingual isn't, uh, you know, meaning we're speaking other languages. I'll, I'll just give you a story of why. So we're hitting in the cages and uh, we're doing a simulated pitcher versus hitter. And one of our hitters, Jesse, is, is up to bat and he's got a 2-0 and o count. And he gets a fastball like center cut. I mean, center cut. And he is so late, he fouls it off and it goes over what would be like the oppo dugout. And I'm like, Jesse, 2-0 and o count, man. Like, if you hit a foul ball 2-0 and on a fastball, that's like a hooking, screaming liner to the pull side, like Cardinal Sin. Don't be late on a fastball 2-0. and What are you thinking? He's like, well, you know, I, I thought he'd throw me a fastball, but I also didn't want to be late on the off speed. I'm like, Jesse, do you think the best hitters in baseball are worried that they're going to be out in front of the off speed on a 2-0 and count? And he's like, no. And I said, what do you think the best hitters in baseball are thinking? He goes, I don't know, something in Spanish. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, see, yeah, you know, about to muchas líneas. No, it's not about Spanish. Like, you got to be able to, to speak the nerd language, know the nerd language, but speak cavemen to your players. And the, the best story I got for that is this pizza French fries. Kane, you'll know this because you're a, you're a Vermont skier guy. Uh, so we took our kids snow skiing last year for the first time. And, uh, and you know, they've never snow skied before. So we got to get a snow ski lesson. So we go get a snow ski lesson. There's a group of kids and the ski instructor says, all right, kids, the first thing you need to learn in snow skiing is how to stop. So I want you guys all to snow plow. And every kid looks at him like he's speaking another language. And he says, you know, like make a wedge. And they're all looking at him like they got, you know, he's just talking like three heads. And then this girl is another ski instructor skis in and she goes, kids, if you want to stop, 
make your skis look like a piece of pizza. And if you wanna go fast, make your skis look like French fries. And instantly they all went pizza, French fries. And I'm like, God, that is genius. That's the smartest thing I've ever heard. And it just reminded me like how we gotta talk and coach, if we want them to reach their max potential as players, they got to know what we're talking about. We got to create these illustrations in their brain. Uh, this was a text that one of our professional alums got from his hitting coordinator. And he sent it to me and says, what does this mean? And I'm reading it and uh, I have no idea. And I still don't know what it means to this day. And it's just, there's so many coaches out there that I don't know if it's like, like cool now to use three, four five syllable words, but if the player doesn't know what you're talking about, like, you know, just so when we're talking about, you know, brain, body, ball, we got a pizza French fries it as much as we can. Uh, ultimately, we're trying to trying to build the engine in these guys, get this engine as, as, as big, as strong, as fast as it possibly can be so that they can have the best chance for success. But even better than that, the goal of the mental game, the goal of coach, if you're in coaching, you're in the you're in the business of confidence boosting. And we've all seen the magic that happens when you've got a confident player and a confident team. And when they are confident, there, there are no limits, no limits. There's nothing they can't do. Right. It's like, like the bumblebee, the bumblebee, just the, the, the body weight of the bumblebee, the circumference of the body of the bumblebee compared to the wing size and wing weight of the bumblebee. There's no way by our laws of physics, the bumblebee should be able to take flight, but nobody told the bumblebee it can't fly. So it flies anyways. Right. And that's, that's kind of how we got to be the no limitations. The only limitations are what you put on yourselves. Um, so that's kind of the idea of most confidence possible. These are the best books I've read in the last couple of years. Uh, Never split the difference might be the best book I've ever read. Uh, but these are some really good ones that we, we use inside of our program. Kane, you've probably read all of them. Um, but, you know, nothing else. You got, you got a couple to add to your book list. But we say LFG. And for us, it means let's friggin' grow uh, every single day, baby. So uh, thank you, guys. I, I appreciate it. Um, what I got for you. Beautiful, beautiful. Eric, I'm going to give you a little break here to take a quick, uh, take a quick breather before we get into questions. And, you know, to go back to a lot of the books that Eric's mentioned, and he's mentioned Brian Johnson and the Optimize app. And I just want to let everybody know that the, the Optimize app with Brian Johnson is now free. So get on that right now. It used to be $200 a year. And a lot of the books that you just saw from Eric are um, you know, summarized in six page cliff notes or 20 minute audios. And one of the things I recommend you do as a coach is you get the optimized app. I posted a link inside of the chat. It's free. You listen to one of those books a week while you're in your car, pick one book a week, and you're going to start to master that content and be able to use it in your program. Also want to let our, our current coaches know that if you'd like to be a coaching matters ambassador coach in your state and earn five to $20,000 part-time contact Mike Bahoon to inquire about our new ambassador coach program. That's M-B-A-H-U-N at fundraisingu.net. 
And as former athletes and coaches, Fundraising University understands the pain points that come with funding sports programs, and they provide solutions to support your program to dream big and raise more. So let's take a look at a high school football team from Colorado who raised over $100,000 with Fundraising University in a four-hour fundraiser. Let's take a look real quick at this video about how you can dream big, you can raise more, and you can help your program achieve their goals. Uh, yes, born and raised in Colorado, uh, played locally high school at Columbine High School, won a state championship there, uh, played college football up at Northern Colorado, so state and state, uh, coached at several high schools around the area, uh, most recently Eagle Crest, uh, Valor before that, won a couple championships there, and then I've been the head coach here at Mount Vista for three years now. I think the biggest thing is you make a clear expectation just like you do for everything you do in a program, whether that's practice, whether that's lifting, whether that's you know how you play, how you dress, how you do everything. We had a certain number of cards each kid needed to sell, and we don't really take excuses for that any more than we wouldn't take excuses for missing a practice. So really setting the culture up to where you know the kids are bought into it. Um, this is the only fundraiser that we do. We make it clear that this is the most important thing that we do because of that, um, and the kids bought into it. The expectation for me and my staff is that there are no excuses to not sell them. So, And it's not about the card, it's more about building that sense of community and using the card really as a tool for that. I think just the, the ease and, and use of it, I think it was easy to sell. I think. Obviously getting the vendors around here to buy in and, and be a part of the, the program was huge too. And I think just the way that this is set up, the way the program is set up, it's easy for me as a coach to, to put it together and it makes it a lot easier on the kids. When I'm not stressing about it, the kids aren't gonna stress on it. So I think the $30 card honestly sold more. I mean, it did sell more. We sold more cards at 30 than we did at 20. So that was irrelevant to me here. Again, I don't think it was about the card. I think it was about our kids getting out in the community and the community supporting our kids in our school. You know, it was just the, the meetings and the check-ins with the kids to make sure we were on track. Um, and then having those, you know, individual conversations with kids that weren't meeting where we needed them to be every few days. I mean, overall, not very much work at all. Because again, I think it's a self-sustainable system and the kids did a great job and our community did a, good, did a great job of supporting it. Uh, we just bought new squat racks for our weight room. Those are not cheap, so that was a big part of it. Uh, we're going to do another new Jordan uniform next year, which will be a big part of that too. So giving it back to the kids because they earned it and they deserve it. I think the ease of use, I think that the group and the, the gentleman that worked with us, uh, Mr. Morse was awesome. I mean, he's a former coach. He knows what's going on and he knows how busy coaches are. Um, he did a great job of checking in. He did a great job of checking in with the kids. And I think any, any way that you can be with a company that takes the pressure off of me as the coach or my coaching staff, I would, I would encourage people to use that. Because again, we have enough going on that a lot of people look at fundraisers and think, oh, it's a bunch of work I have to do. But, Fun, fundraiser, you did a great job of doing all the work for us and really just getting our kids out in the community, which was awesome. So I would definitely use this company you know, moving forward just because of that. Again, if we want to thank uh, Fundraising University and their CEO, Mike Bahoon, for their ongoing support of Coaching Matters. Again, if you're looking for more information, please send an email to Mike Bahoon. We'll post that here inside of the chat. Want to go to questions here for coach Eric Backett. He's the head baseball coach at the University of Michigan. And one of the questions I think that, that kept coming up a lot during the, uh, during the call and on the chat was, 
was, you know, some of the concepts, Eric, that, that you talked about was like beyond baseball and the athletic skills, what are like three of the most important attributes you look for when recruiting? Um, well, I mean, obviously we have a great academic institution, so, you know, the recruiting is this ultimate filtering process, right? Like you, you've got, you've got great players everywhere and you've got to whittle a thousand down into a 10 to 15 man signing class. So if a kid's not a good student, that's an easy one to just, you know, cross him off. I mean, coaches, I think are always looking for the easy low hanging fruit of to cross a kid off. So if he's just not a good student at all, that's an easy one for an academic school. Um, so outside of baseball, cause obviously, you know, we, we got to have great players. There's no question. You guys all know that everything just, everything gets to character and it's, it becomes the questions that we're going to ask the high school coaches. Cause we, we are one of those programs that fully subscribe to talking to the people who know the kids the best and nobody knows the kids better besides their own parents than the high school coaches. So we are always, I promise you, you are always going to hear from our coaching staff recruiting your players um, you're talking to the we'll talk to everyone we'll talk to the travel ball coach as well but the travel ball coach obviously is wanting to you know get as many players uh, you know out there as possible and so talking to the coaches that are with them day in and day out throughout the year I think is critical so um, talking to the high school coaches and asking those questions about what type of teammate are they what type of leader are they what type of worker are they I mean it's it's really not like rocket science. It's if I were to, if you, if I were to just answer your question really simply, Kane, it's just that combination of, you know, what type of person are they? And then are they the type of student that we need to get into school here? Awesome. Next question comes in from coach Chris Andrews. He's at Portage Northern there, right there in Michigan. And he asked, how long do you spend in the classroom before practice? And does that change kind of in or out of season? Yeah, I think we've got about a 30 minute window of time to really capture their energy and enthusiasm. And so the content of those PowerPoints, I would tell you that I want that that PowerPoint to be so good where there's so many slides changing and they're taking notes and they're engaged. And it's, you know, if I'm just up there lecturing that I'm not going to have them. So it's is the the you know, it's got to move at the speed of you know, how they're used to seeing information these days. So it's, once you get past 30 minutes, it's, it's, you know, maybe gets to border on a little bit on the, on the lengthy side, but I'd say most of our meetings are about 30 minutes. And then one of the things, a lot of questions came in coach back, it's about reinforcing your standards and do the players, you know, have a say in what those standards are every year. Does the standards stay the same? Do you, do you give them a copy of what those standards are? How do you reinforce those? Could you unpack kind of more of, of the standards that you have of behavior in your program? Yeah. First team meeting right away here. Here's the, here's the expectation. Uh, here are the behaviors that we want you to adhere to because behaviors and culture, they go hand in hand. It's this, these are the standards that drive our culture, but you know, our culture is a result of these behaviors. Uh, so they, they have to go round and round. And so we, we give them to them. So there's zero ambiguity uh, on day one, but then we're, we're constantly, uh, I'd say, trying to stay relevant. So, and, and evolve. So like now we're doing more stuff with TPI. We've learned more things about sleep and hydration and things that we've, we've now activated into 
these standards. So we're always adding to them. We're always adjusting. Uh, but the players do get some, uh, they obviously get, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about those behaviors, you know, on a, uh, you know, every year where we can add some to, we can, we've subtracted, we've added, but yeah, they want them to feel like they've got buy-in to the max because they've weighed in on these and, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's taken every, every, when I say every minute of 10 years, I mean, it's, those are things that started off, you know, a few years ago and they look totally different now, but regardless, whatever you think those behaviors are, you just got to stick to them and hold the players accountable and praise them when they do them well. Yeah. As a, you know, a friend of yours and mine, Bruce Brown would say rewarded behavior is repeated behavior. So make sure we bring attention to the things that they do well. Right. And just a couple more questions here coming in for coach Eric Backett. She's the head baseball coach at the university of Michigan. And before we go into questions for coach Backett, I've got a question for all of our participants here. We crossed over the 200 threshold for the first time in coaching matters. So thank you, coach Backett. And for our listeners, I'd like to know, how did you find out about tonight's call? Was it from an email? Was it from social media? Would you just post inside of our chat? How did you find out about tonight's call with Coach Backage? Was it from the Michigan Twitter feed? Was it from our Twitter feed uh, at Brian Kane Peak Performance Fundraising? Just so we have an idea of kind of how you guys found out about tonight's call, we'd love to kind of have that information. Coach Backage, next question is related to your mental game routines. Do you implement any type of meditation practice to assist your players in finding that calm, quiet, focused mind? Yes, uh, we do meditation every game before every game, before we start every meeting. Uh, we've had pitching coaches here currently and in the past that would do it more even on a daily basis with the pitchers, uh, where they would take up to 15 minutes uh, prior to the team starting and they would just, you know, really focus on their breathing more than anything. And uh, our players all have an app. Uh, uh, I think it's uh, a calm called calm, a calm app uh, that they use and they have, uh, you know, three minute, five minute to 15 minute. So yeah, it's encouraged. It's talked about. I mean, we, we do so much. We, we believe so strongly in developing their mental skills that we've just got to give them as many things that, uh, that, that can possibly work for each, each guy. And, 15 minute meditation once a week, three times a week, uh, you know, may be beneficial, but another guy may like doing it daily. So we, we want to make sure, again, it gets back to maximizing potential. So we don't want a cookie cut. We want to find ways to in, unlock ways for these guys to, to get better and give them the freedom to do that within the program. You know, my question for you is, I know you don't, you don't want a cookie cut. You also need to inspect what you expect and like give guys opportunities to learn it together to see if it's something that they want to do and continue to take on their own. Right. So there are other things that maybe you do from a mental game standpoint that you teach uh, in a, in a classroom setting, whether it be meditation, whether it be, you know, taking a first Friday of the semester, helping them map out their semester and what it looks like from a calendar and academic standpoint. And then you teach them these skills and hope that they take it on their own. Is there anything else that's really big? You feel like Eric, that's a cornerstone of, of your program that the coaches on our call could be able to do as well. Uh, you know, one thing you helped us with a long time ago, Kano, were perspective posters and um, it ties right in with mental game. Cause it's one of the things you can control. And I think this relates to all of us, you know, everyone, especially the, the high school or college age kid gets consumed with those small fires and minor emergencies of the day. And, 
maybe lose sight of some of the things that we, you know, how lucky and fortunate we are, whether it's our jobs or our health or just living in a free country, the greatest country in the world. And so we do these things called perspective posters where on a one sheet of paper, every guy on the team will get the opportunity to present, but it's people, places, events in history, whatever, just it's got to give them kind of that compared to what mentality. Whenever they start to get consumed with those small fires or minor emergencies or start to think they're feeling sorry for themselves, they take a look at what's on this perspective poster and it's that reminder that, no, 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 I, I, <laughs> I got it going pretty good. I think I got it bad compared to this. No, I'm in a great spot. And, uh, and that's one thing that has been a staple of every year. We do it in November. It's great content for our classroom. It ties in with Thanksgiving. It ties in with gratitude. And uh, that's something that everyone on the team, you know, we talk about leading from the front. And so every guy on the team gets the opportunity to present. And it's a, you know, it's a two to three minute, maybe up to five minute presentation for each kid, but it's very powerful. And each kid gets to learn a whole lot more about each other. You know, Eric, one of the things that's impressed me most about you, just knowing you since 2006, is your continued commitment to growth. There, there is never a day where I don't think you are doing something to invest in yourself. Is there any key components for yourself as a coach in your morning routine or your evening routine, things that you do, whether it's working out, whether it's listening to Optimize when you drive, meditating yourself, journaling, anything that you do that you found is a great practice for yourself that you would encourage our coaches on the call to do for themselves? Yeah. I mean, you know, Kane, it's, I met you before I had kids, right? Now I've got three, 12, nine, and seven. And for all the, you know, dads and moms on this call that have kids, it can be a total SHIT show at all times. Just, you know, so yeah, it's, it's having that routine is tough when, when you got all of a sudden pull the ripcord on what you think you're doing because your wife or, you know, whatever needs you to do something else. But the thing that I've found, there's two things really that, Audiobooks, um, you know, who, who has time to like set aside for themselves, unless you're traveling on an airplane in a hotel room. But if you've got young kids, you know, unless you're waking up early to do your reading or wait until they go to bed, you know, audiobooks in the car have been great. Um, and then I, I keep, I, I keep a notebook and I, I just write down like, this is like my brain. And I, I just, I keep, I make my lineups, our recruiting lists, every phone call. Uh, and it's, you know, it's like I've got like more, more notebooks up here than, than I know what to do with. And it's just uh, I go through them all the time. But like every phone call I have, I'll, I'll be on the phone, but taking notes. Maybe not, obviously not if I'm driving, but, you know, it's just uh, it's not a journal. It's just uh, it, it just keeps me organized. It's, uh, it's uh, my to do lists. And, you know, if somebody says, you know, I, if I need to remember a phone call, you know, you talk to so many people, but then you flip to the date and, and who you talk to and you see the notes from your call. It's just I don't know. I, I found it helpful. Coach Corbin's the one who showed it to me at Vanderbilt. He does it with his. I don't know if he still does it, but uh, I, I really like taking notes. Uh, Mike, Mike Bahoon introduced me to an electronic version of this, which is really cool um, of, the, of that note taking. So, you, you know, you don't have as much, much paper. I'm sure you're on that cane, uh, but I, I like writing things down. Um, I like keeping notes. I like audio books. Uh, I try to stick to a routine, but with young kids, that's mm. not as easy. It's much easier said than uh, said than done. Uh, but working out every day, that's just, 
you know, that's just a, a everybody's got to do that. You got to got to stay active. Mm-hmm. But uh, but anyways, yeah, no, I mean, Kane, you're the master of that. So you would be the best guy for for everyone to hear from yeah. on. <laughs> master of that until mm-hmm. until march 7th when we have our first child and i'm and then then you can get me a couple months after that but you know eric one of the things you mentioned right was the importance of audiobooks and books on tape and i've been a long time proponent of automobile university and a lot of the books that you mentioned tonight you know are are in an app optimized and you know i i i i talk about it all the time it's the app i used to gift the most it's probably the app i talk about the most optimize uh, my friend Brian Johnson creates six-page PDF summaries, 20-minute audio summaries, and I posted a link inside of the chat. It's just optimize.me slash Kane, and you can get the app for free. Uh, it's, it's again, the best, some of the best books, the ones that Eric's talking about legacy can't hurt me, David Goggins, uh, the Ryan holiday books, Jocko extreme ownership. They're all inside of the optimize app. And if I could recommend, if I were working with you as a coach in a one-on-one capacity, one of the first things I'd ask you to do is listen to my mental performance daily podcast, which is three minutes a day. Uh, it's like my version of success hotline, my tribute to Dr. Rob Gilbert. And then the second thing I'd ask you to do is pick one book a week and optimize and listen to it and pick an accountability partner on your staff that listens to the same book, one book a week, not a book a day, one book a week, because it does not matter what books you listen to. It matters what you do with the books you listen to. So we're mining for strategies and ideas that we can implement and we can take and use. So the optimize app as your coaching staff, pick a book a week, y'all go through it. And in your weekly meeting, you talk about what the book is you're going to take. I do this with all my individual clients. I had a call today with Corbin Burns, Sion Ward winner with the Brewers, right? And the one that he, that we're going through, we listened to last week and broke down today was discipline equals freedom by Jocko Willink, which is in the optimize app. And it's all free. Just like the coaching matters calls here are free. And again, I just want to take a minute to thank Mike Bahoon with fundraising university and let you guys know that fundraising university is always looking for individuals who are competitive, self-starters, empathetic, organized, and teachable to partner with current coaches contact Mike Bahoon and Bahoon at fundraisingu.net to inquire about assistant coach or area representative positions openings within fundraising university. And you're in, if you're interested in becoming a franchise owner, head over to fundraisingu.net slash franchising to learn more. Also wanted to let you guys know about two awesome events coming up. I know we got a lot of baseball, a lot of softball coaches here and fundraising university is excited to sponsor two events live for you. So if you're going to the NFCA, the national fast pitch coaches association event in Vegas on December 10th at 5 PM, there's going to be an event uh, that they're putting on and Kaylee Rafter, who's the head coach of uh, team Canada, uh, just won an Olympic medal. And she's going to be a keynote speaker there. And then at the ABCA in Chicago on January 7th from six to 8 PM, I'm going to be doing a free two hour seminar uh, with my friends from fundraising university. We'd love to have you join us for those socials, free beer, free food. You just got to get yourself a ticket. So for the ABCA, if you go to briancanecom slash ABCA, you can get yourself a ticket for that event. Uh, and if you go into our chat, if you just drop your name and email and your phone number and put softball, we'll make sure we send you a ticket to get into that event in Vegas, Eric Backage. Man, the time goes fast, and I want to I want to say thank you uh, for you joining us here on the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program and podcast. Lots of other questions. I'll make sure I send them to you. Maybe you can uh, answer them in your social media, you know, with a short video on your feed or whatever. Where can people engage with you on Instagram or Twitter? Is there a handle that you use? 
Uh, Kaner, you'll be disappointed, but I I I got off all social media uh, during the pandemic. I am Good for you. All, I am all done, uh, and it was it's the best thing. I I I am not in the time suck of uh, you know mindless surfing on whatever. Now it's more tactical, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, I just I you know with kids and with other, it yeah. just had to get. I just had to you know take that distraction out. Uh, I already suck at email. If people want to get a hold of me, don't email. I type with these six fingers very slowly. Um, so I, it's one of my biggest weaknesses. So uh, yeah, please don't email me. There's a good chance I won't even see. What, what, what is the, what's, what's the Michigan baseball Twitter at you baseball at you baseball. Yeah. At you baseball. And again, that's where you're going to find out more things of what coach Backage has going on and you're going to find out about their camps. And one of the things they've got coming on that I wanted to, to, to show a video on was their baseball camps. And I've been to, I've been to on campuses a lot when baseball camps are happening, whether, you know, it's it, with all the teams I get to work with on the country. And I will tell you that an Eric Backage run baseball camp is as good as you're going to find anywhere in America. Even if you're a coach, a non-baseball coach, if you're a football coach and you go check out one of his camps, you'll be a better coach by watching it. Let's take a look. Uh, so Eric, last call to action, man. Where can people go to get more information on the camps? Uh, you can uh, you can go right on mgoblue.com and click on baseball and click on camps and all the registration info is there. And uh, yeah, you're right, Kane. I'm I. Not that our camps are better than anyone else's, but I will always be at camp. I'm not one of those coaches that gives the intro speech and the goodbye speech. I'm in the, right in the trenches with all the kids, and and I love it. And uh, I'm very immature, 44 year old, so I like doing it with them. Um, but anyways, this has been great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, man. Thank you for taking the time and for the impact that you're making. And thank you all the coaches who, who joined us tonight, over 200 coaches coming in to listen to coach Eric Backich with the coaching matters foundation. Special thanks to Mike Bahoon. special thanks to you, Eric and coaches. We will send you out a link to tonight's podcast, as well as the video. So you can continue to review and get the information. Thanks for being here. Go blue dominate the day. See everybody. Thanks for checking out this week's coaching matters podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a subscribe and a review. Also, be sure to engage with us on social media here in the notes for the show. And remember, dream big, raise more, and coaching matters.